Good morning, ladies and gentlemen. Let me observe Ketsi by thanking the leadership of this assembly for inviting me to come and share with you thoughts on a topic which is dear to me and must be dear to all of us, the testing of our faith, the testing of our faith. Given the constraints of time, I will just try to walk you through three key stages of this testing. Can we share a word of prayer? Our Lord and Master, thank you that you predestined us to be conformed to the image of your Son so that he might be the firstborn among many children. Thank you for the measure of faith you have given to each of us. You wanted to grow until we reach a point where we rely absolutely on your goodness. Today, as we investigate this topic on a small scale, Holy Spirit, we submit our hearts to you and we accept your ministry as our sole teacher. Thank you for answered prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. Anything that must grow needs to be tested. And so in school, we are tested. The essence of the testing is not to fail us. The essence of the testing is to help us discover our weaknesses and strength so that they can be corrected to make us better quality intellectuals. It's the same for manufacturers. They test their products rigorously under different environmental settings. Sometimes the artificial settings, other times they are real life settings. But what never stops with any manufacturer is the idea of constant testing. They test for performance, they test for reliability, they test for comfort, they test for safety, they test for quality, they test for appearance. The whole idea of the testing is to be able to flush out the problems and the kinks with the car or vehicle so that they can upgrade it with each passing day and sell it at the same price or a lower cost but with high, higher quality. The Bible also says very clearly in James 1, 2, 4. And I read, Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. 
That's the whole idea of testing. Testing is different from temptation because temptation comes from ungodly sources with the aim of pulling you down. But testing comes from God with the aim of promoting you. Amen. So you cannot actually gain promotion if you don't subject yourself to testing or you are not willing to be tested. Since we are talking of the testing of our faith, it is good that we turn to the father of our faith, Abraham, because he was tested in a like manner as many of us will be tested. And we want to learn some lessons from a particular test he went through, which is found in Genesis chapter 22, verses 1 to 19. I'd like to read it for us. Some time later, I'm reading from the New International Version, God tested Abraham. He said to him, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Then God said, take your son, your only son, whom you love, Isaac, and go to the region of Moriah. Sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on a mountain I will show you. Wow. Many of you here are not married. And so you may not have children, but you can virtually feel the dramatic effect this order could have had on Abraham. He was to take his son, his only son, whom he loved, Isaac, and to go to the region of Moriah, sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on a mountain that God will show him. Early the next morning, Abraham got up and loaded his donkey. He took with him two of his servants and his son Isaac, when he had cut enough wood for the burnt offering, he set out for the place God had told him about. On the third day, Abraham looked up and saw the place in the distance. He said to his servants, stay here with the donkey while I and the boy go over there. We will worship and then we will come back. Abraham took the wood for the burnt offering and placed it on his son Isaac, and he himself carried the fire and the knife. As the two of them went on together, Isaac spoke up and said to his father Abraham, Father, yes, my son, Abraham replied, the fire and the wood are here, Isaac said. But where is the lamb for the burnt offering? A truly disturbing statement for someone whom I believe was actually having communions of very difficult thoughts in his mind as he walked along with him. Abraham answered, 
God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. And the two of them went together. God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering. When they read the place God had told him about, Abraham built an altar there and arranged the wood on it. He bound his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then he reached out his son and took the knife to slay his son. But the angel of the Lord called out to him from heaven, Abraham, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Do not lay a hand on the boy, he said. Do not do anything to him. Now I know that you fear God. No, that is the angel that is speaking, not God. Now I know that you fear God because you have not withheld from me your son, your only son. Abraham looked up and there in a ticket he saw a ram caught by its horns. He went over and took the ram and sacrificed it as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called that place, the Lord will provide. And to this day, it is said, on the mountain of the Lord, it will be provided. The angel of the Lord called to Abraham from heaven a second time and said, I swear by myself, declares the Lord, that because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you and make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as the sun on the seashore. Your descendants will take possession of the cities of their enemies and through your offspring, all nations on earth will be blessed because you have obeyed me. Then Abraham returned to his servants and they set off together for Beersheba. And Abraham stayed in Beersheba. Every Christian with his salt will face temptations and tests. Unless, of course, you don't want to grow. The father of our faith, Abraham, was tested by no other person than God. I know there is a strand of teaching now gone wild in Christianity where people are told that Christians won't undergo suffering. If you have read your Bible well, you will know that suffering is part of our calling. The one who saved us suffered. The father of our faith went through dramatic suffering. The difference is that the suffering did not just end there, but through the suffering, he entered into a sphere of blessing far greater than he could have ever taught or asked of from God. Amen. If you fear suffering, you will not be able to walk in the promotion that God has given to you.
you will miss out on the glorious destiny that God has for you. Abraham was without child. For many years after he had married his wife, Sarah, In a human solution to the problem, the wife recommended that he sleeps with one of her maid servants. And that resulted in the birth of Ishmael. But Ishmael was not the promised son. So somewhere in chapter 22, actually in chapter 21, God had ordered Abraham to let go Ishmael and the father, mother Hagar and to keep Isaac, the appointed son. Isaac had been named Laughter because the miracle of his birth was so great that the mother and the father felt that God had put laughter in their mouths. And at the age of 20 and above, he had grown with them, very dear to them, and they, he meant the whole world to them. And now, beyond 20, God called his father. And the upshot of that call was that he should sacrifice Isaac, his only son, the son whom he loved, you can imagine the effect on Abraham. As a young man of 20 years, I had turned to Christianity from a Muslim home. The import of, of my decision was so momentous for me that I feared to tell my parents. My grandfather, who was my guardian, was a very devout Muslim. And in those days, growing up in Aijazongo, just not too far from Tech, it was an anathema for a Christian to live in the presence of Aijazongo or to publicly show his religion, especially for someone who had been a Muslim before. It was unthinkable for you to cross over, turn coat, and become a Christian, a lesser form of religion in the eyes of the devout Muslim. So I had kept the decision to myself. I was no longer going to the mocks. I would wait until they come out of the mocks in the evening, and then I would shake hands with those who had gone to the mocks as if I had also attended the mock's service. But every Sunday, I'll slip out and go to the community center of the University, Kwame uh, Nkrumah University of Science and Technology, where a scripture union fellowship met. And I continued doing that until one day at the fellowship. the leader of the fellowship, who was a mass student of the University of Science and Technology, said, next week is 
Palm Sunday, and we don't want to spend it with ourselves alone. We are going to go to Aijazongo and then share the good news with them. So for the whole of the week, you are to fast and wait on God. And then on Sunday, we'll march them and let them hear the good news. His comments were received with cheers. But for me, it was my death bell. That week, I died several times. Because I could virtually picture what would happen in Aijazongo when we appeared there with me among the crowd of what Muslims would call rank unbelievers. People who could not be taken seriously because they just walked straight from the toilet into the so-called presence of God to worship the king of kings without washing their hands and washing their uh, body. People who, in their view, never fasted 30 days as they did. People who never prayed five times a day as they did. They were clearly people that they did not estimate in any sense to be serious. And so for me, a Muslim who had been brought up in a Muslim home to be found among them, wow, the consequences could be quite dire. So that week, I died several times. But somehow, on the Sunday, I managed to gather strength. And I walked ever so slowly to the fellowship. We formed lines. I joined the line. They started singing and marching towards Ajazongo. Because the choice was whether to go to the fellowship that week or not to go. If I did not go, my faith was in danger of being smothered out. Because the devil will stand on that to accuse me every time that I had denied God again and again, even though I was a secret uh, disciple. If I went, I was sure of beating, persecution, and being sent out from the home. So if you were in my shoes, what would you do? It's easy sitting in the comfort of your chair, listening to me, 40 years down the line because you have no skin in the game. It may just be a laughing matter, but for me, it was life and death. As they marched, I started praying, God, have mercy on me. When I'm sent out of home, who will feed me? Who will pay my school fees? Who do I know in Kumasi to take care of me? Where do I go? I believe Abraham was going through a much more profound 
set of troubled thinking that I went through. I'll tell you how the story ended. Whenever you are being tested by God, there are three stages you will go through. Because the testing that God takes you through is like calling you to carry your cross and follow him. It is tantamount to Jesus taking up his cross and dying for us. And given this, therefore, there are three stages. One is the Gethsemane stage. The stage where you go through troubled thinking. Some, for some, it may be sleepless nights. For some, it will be crying just to try to find out whether you can find an alternative to what God is telling you to do. For many, it can even lead to the loss of your faith. I believe for Abraham, he had sleepless, troubled nights of torture and heartbreak. It is common in such instances to ask God, why? Why me? Why must I be chosen for this task? Why must I go through this? Is there no other way of doing it? Can you remember... Jesus' emotional struggle in the Garden of Gethsemane. He virtually was going through emotional trauma that led him to bleed great blood drops because of the weight of the thinking he was going through. To a lesser degree, any time any of us goes through tests, you will go through this Gethsemane experience. The hard truth is that God is an utter and complete realist. Your emotional, historic, uh, hysterical outburst will not stop him from doing what he wants to do. Our emotions will not melt his heart or change his mind. Why? Because when God allows you to face a test, it is because it is necessary for our benefit, for his benefit, and for everyone concerned, even people who have not yet been born. And so he expects us to obey. We may cry, we may weep, we may beg, we may try to trade with him. If you stop this, I will do this and I will do that. I will be more punctual in church. I'll pay my tithes. I'll serve you better. It does not change it. Once God has put you through a test, it's because he knows the greater things at the end of it. So your tears will not turn him away. Jesus had to go through the full hog of what he had been called to do because he submitted to the will of God. The second stage is the Calvary stage.
where you pay the price for the test. If you observe the life of Abraham, you may ask yourself, how could he carry through this fearsome test or tax that the Lord had given to him? His son, his only son, whom he loved, he had obeyed to the point of picking up the knife to really slaughter him. And the angel of the Lord intervened. Where did he get the spiritual energy to go through or to attempt to go through this fearsome tax? Let me tell you, the secret is prayer. The secret is prayer. The secret is prayer. For the twin issues of temptation and testing, prayer is the solution. Psalm 29, 11 says, The Lord gives strength to his people. The Lord blesses his people with peace. You can only have peace in the midst of a turmoil or trouble or a very disturbing situation when you have learned to go down on your knees. It is then that God gives you strength to be able to stand any ordeal, any test. So that is why Jesus asked the disciples, couldn't you pray with me just one hour? If you are a Christian and you are not prayerful, if you are a Christian and you don't take time to meditate on the attributes of God, who he is, to understand his character, you are not likely to come out very well when you are subjected to a test. Isaiah 26, 3 says, you will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. Trust in the Lord always. It was through prayer and meditation on the character of God that Abraham, without knowing anything about Easter, about Lazarus, about the miracles of those who had been raised from the dead by Jesus Christ, submitted himself to slaughter his son because he believed so much in God that he knew once God had made a promise, no matter how difficult the circumstances would turn out to be, God would be able to raise up the son that would be slaughtered. Amen. Let me tell you something. I've worked with God for over 45 years now. In Latin, God is called summum bunum, the highest good, the highest good. Psalm 92, 15 says, the Lord is upright. He's my rock and there is no wickedness in him. Nothing he tells you to do will ever redound to your disadvantage if you carry it out. He means it for your higher good to lift you up to a level you have not been able to imagine beyond your highest dreams and expectations. 
because he sees everything instantaneously, knows the future, knows the, uh, how things will pan out at the end of the day, and knows the best of the best. So when he tests you, it's to bring you out so that you enjoy the best of the best. Amen. Never ever entertain in your mind the fact that God is taking you through a test to destroy you, to lower you, to take any good from you. Because God is originally good. He is essentially good. He is infinitely good. He is immutably good. And he is irreversibly good. There is no iota of evil in him. All his ways are pleasant ways. And all his paths are peace. So when he asks you to go through a test, it is because he wants to refine you, make you a better person, make you a durable Christian whose foundation, the foundation of whose character can take the superstructure of blessings he wants to place on your life. Amen. So a test is not to take anything bad from you. It's to make you a special vessel that God can use. In my I just don't go experience, we marched about one and a half kilometers. And we reached the junction that was to turn to Aijazongo. I was still praying because I was filled with fear. But I determined that come hell or high water, I was going to go there. No matter the beating, the persecution, being driven from the house with nobody to pay my school fees, with nowhere to live in Kumasi, I was determined to go. When you are tested, it's not about your feelings. Even when you feel bad about it, obey. Even when it seems to go against the logic of your thinking, obey. Even when it looks as if you are losing, if you are sure God is the one who has spoken, obey. Because God is originally good. He's essentially good. He's immutably good. There is no wickedness in him. He's seeing ahead of you what you are not seeing. And he wants to lift you up. At the junction, the leader of the fellowship, who turned out to be an apostle of assemblies uh, of Church of Pentecost in New Zealand and Australia, much, much later, and is now on retirement, he ran to the front of the line and said, stop, everybody stopped. And then he said, we have had a change of mind. Today, we are not going to Aijazongo. We will go back to the fellowship. And of course, now when they turned, when they sang hallelujah, I also sang hallelujah. When they said praise the Lord, I also said praise the Lord. 
because the picture the devil had painted of my end, of the beatings I was to receive, the persecutions, of being driven from home, did not turn up the way he painted it. The devil will seek to do everything possible to stop you from going through a test. Because he may not know the end of it, but he can sense that once God, the God who is excellent, who thinks of you beyond your ability to think for yourself, who has your goodness at his heart, is instructing you to do something, there must be something better, something excellent, something beyond your imagination waiting for you. So he does everything to stop you from going through the tests. Later, when I was strong in my faith, I went home, they asked me, we no longer see you coming to the mocks. And I said, yes, I've become a Christian. By that time, I've been built to the stage where I, I could win, withstand any persecution of any sort. God will not allow you to be tested beyond your ability to bear. Whenever you are going through a test, it is because you have the capacity depending on him to overcome that test. Don't ask why me. It is you because you have been equipped in Christ Jesus to overcome it. Amen. Tests are not meant to make you fail. They are meant to promote you. Amen. Have you ever entered into an exam room where you have looked at question one? It doesn't seem to be like what you were expecting. Question two, no. Question three, no. Question four, no. Up to question eight, no. So you have to go back again to question one to see whether there is a way of escape. Sometimes in looking at it again intently with focus, then something clicks and you begin to appreciate that this is tied to this topic. Have you gone through that before? When God puts you through a trial, it may, it may look as if he has overloaded you, as if you don't have the capacity, as if it is meant to fail you. It is not meant to fail you. Within you lives the spirit of God. And the spirit of God is a teacher and our guide and our enabler. He will give you strength if you learn to connect with him in prayer to be able to resolve any test that you go through. Amen. Because the test is not meant to fail you. It is meant to lift you up. I went to Kumasi from Boko to write my ICA penultimate exams. I had read as much as I could but then I met some people who had read far, far better than I had read. And so when I joined their study group, for the questions they raised and answered, I was physically disturbed because they were way, way, way above me. 
and they realized that they were way, way, way above me. And when you are studying with somebody, you are way, way above, and you are going to write the exam tomorrow. If you are not careful, he can drag you back because the fundamental things you take for granted, he doesn't understand. So they said, at this stage, it's too late for us to begin to teach you certain things. But here you are with past question papers. Get them photocopied and then make the best of them. I went to the house. I'm a night owl. I do most of what I do in the night. And started to look at the questions. And there were so many topics I had not covered. And you know, when you have not covered too many topics, you try to cover a few more of them. I would go here, and then one other topic would be calling me, so I'll leave it and go there. When I try to get it out, then another topic would be covering, uh, calling me. And so I, was, I ended up flipping through the books in consternation. In the midst of that, I heard a voice say, Stop reading. Stop reading. For a student, stop reading is a very dangerous statement. Especially the night before the exams, when you have not covered much. Stop reading almost sounds like the voice of the devil. And even today, let me tell you, if you hear a voice saying, stop reading, please first assume it's the devil until you have convinced yourself beyond recall that you know the voice that is speaking. In my case, I knew the voice that was speaking. Wow. So I stopped reading. And I worshipped God from 10 p.m. to 9 a.m. non-stop. I mean non-stop until I entered into the exam room. I wrote the exam the first day. I wrote the exam the second day. And then when the results came, I was the best in the country. Stop reading did not follow logic. I'd been to the university, come out at the top of my university class, being a teaching assistant, and I knew that even upon on wheels, you know upon on wheels, eh? when you are going to the exam room, last minute papers you are holding, reading while you are going, we call that upon on wheels. You'll be looking at it and then, just to make sure that you gather some last minute points. Even that can make a difference between failing and passing. So it did not appeal to logic. But when God is leading you and testing your faith, don't appeal to logic. Appeal to the word of God. Appeal to the recognition of his voice. If you recognize who he is and what he's saying, against hope, please do it. Amen. Peter said, we had fished all night. Nonetheless, at your command, we will still cast the uh, net out. 
May God give you the grace to recognize his voice so that when you need to obey, you obey even though you are trembling because at the end of that obedience is great and awesome things he has for you. Amen. Let's see the third stage. The resurrection stage. Thank you very much. The resurrection stage. We know Abraham obeyed. And we know what happened. Let's read verses 17 and 18. He says, after his faith has been tested, that's the resurrection stage where you see the fruit of the testing. Many of us want to jump immediately to the resurrection stage and proclaim that we are seated of Christ in the heavenly places. You could not have seat, been seated of Christ in the heavenly places if you did not die with him when he died. You were buried with him and you rose up the third day with him. It was only after that that you could be seated with him in his ascension. Amen. You cannot enjoy the fruit of the resurrection until you go through the grind of the death burial of Jesus Christ. Amen. I'm not talking of it literally, but I'm talking of the fact that you must associate with his suffering before you can reap the harvest of his benefits. It's important. We are told, I will surely bless you and make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as the sand on the seashore. Your descendants will take possession of the cities of their enemies. And through your offspring, all nations on earth will be blessed because you have obeyed me. He had only one child. Can you think of the multiplication effect of obedience? One child. And God was promising him that because he had obeyed, there was going to be a transformation of his family in terms of numbers, so to speak, from one child he was offering and sowing in, in the period of testing, he was going to recover as many children, if it, the world could live that long, as many children as the stars on the skies and as the sand on the seashore. Approximately the two are equal. How many stars do we have in our universe? Nobody can answer that question because we have not yet discovered telescopes powerful enough to count all the stars. With every year, we discover even more stars with each person here. But we have an approximate idea of the number of stars we have on the observable universe. There's a difference between the whole universe and the observable universe. It is between 7 times 10 raised to the power 22 to 10 times 10 raised to the power 24. If you are finding it difficult to process it, blame your arithmetic teacher. 
For me, I'm a preacher. I'm not here to teach mass. But we are talking of about 700 billion trillion at the smaller side. If your counting ends with billion, once again, you have to process it. 700 billion trillion. From one person, that was the benefit of going through a test and obeying God. And he's also told that his enemies shall possess, this, uh, his children shall possess the cities of their enemies. We all trace our ancestry to Abraham, our spiritual ancestry to him. I don't worry about enemies. If anybody makes a mistake to try to hit me with the means of reducing my territory, I'll take more territory from you. I will never even pray about you because this is a promise. I don't have to pray for it to occur. If you attack me as someone who traces my ancestry to Abraham because of this promise, instead of taking land from me, instead of taking territory from me, I'll end up taking territory from you. Amen. Remember Haman and his attempt to crucify the Jews. Remember what happened to him. It's still the effect of this promise. Friends, let me end. I've just said that God brings tests into our lives in order to promote us, to lift us up. Temptations which are brought by the devil and his sources are meant to pull us down. With every test, you have to go through three key stages. The Gethsemane stage, which is the stage of emotional turmoil, where you question God and ask why. When you are literally weeping and asking God to let you off the hook. Because he's a realist, he will not. The Calvary stage, where you must pay the price for that test to become, the benefits of that test to be activated in your life. Without prayer, you cannot do it. The third stage is the resurrection stage where you see the benefit of what God is testing you for. And I can assure you that it will be 100,000 million times what you think you were losing. God tests his people by putting them in situations that reveal the quality and sincerity of their faith and devotion so that all can see what is in their hearts. God is not testing you to find out whether you are faithful or not. It doesn't make sense for a God who is omniscient to try to find out by testing you who you are. He wants to surface what is in you so that you understand your own inadequacies and your own strength and be more amenable to his straightening and condition so that you'll be a better refined Christian. That's why God tests you. It's not to find out what is in you. Then he's not omniscient. Hmm. 
God allows the trial to be his method of purifying the believer as metal is purified in the refiner's crucible. He strengthens our patience, matures our Christian character, and he leads us into an enhanced assurance of his love for us. Through faithfulness in times of trial or test, men become approved in God's sight. In the 10th verse of Romans 16, in the 16th chapter, there is a recital of the men and women of faith in the church at Rome. In verse 10, there is the mention of a certain gentleman. In five short sentences, he says, Greet Apelles, tested and approved in the Lord. Tested and approved in the Lord. Wow. He has been tested and approved. He has gone through rigorous testing. Either through persecution, men abandoning him, hatred, whatever. And God had a stamp of approval on his life. Appealies, tested and approved. May it be at the end of your life, when your name is being recited as a man or woman of faith, I pray that against your name will be written, tested and approved. Amen. Let's pray. Our Father, thank you for your children and for your teaching. We are glad that your hand leads us through test in order to lift us beyond our highest imagination. May each of them stand as durable, refined persons whose character you can vouch for. Holy Spirit, we thank you that in your working with us, you pass us through fire, you put us through prison, you will take us into places we have never thought of. But in the end, you bring us to a place of abundance. Amen.